Hey, my name is Brian Golden. I'm the lead pastor of Centerpoint Church. And I just want to personally thank you for listening to our podcast. And I also want to invite you wherever you are around the country or in the Tampa Bay area to join our digital online campus at centerpointfl.org. And here's what you need to know. Our vision is to create an alternative to church as usual for all people. And all that means is, regardless of whether you've been a longtime follower of Jesus, you're new to faith, you're investigating faith, or you don't even know what you believe, our goal is for you to feel like you belong, even if you never believe. And so thank you again for listening, and I hope today's message encourages you and helps you. Okay, so I know this is difficult sometimes. Can you guys be honest in church for just a second? Yeah. How many of you have lost it already this Christmas season? Like, just be honest. That's better than the first two services in terms of willing to, okay, let's do this since kids are um, in here. If your parent has lost it but won't raise their hand, you guys, <laughs> let me see you. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Um, I think it's partly because of that, this whole idea of the pressure, man, for everything to be perfect. We just react in sometimes disproportionate ways and do things out of character. Um, my wife already threatened to cancel Christmas before 8.30 this morning for one of our kids. Like, it's just that time of year. Uh, a few years ago, to illustrate this, we got a cat. And by we, a more accurate um, description of this is my wife and kids got a cat. And the cat was still really, really small when we got to Christmas. And um, we're heading into the Christmas season and somehow my wife let the cat out of the garage and we lost the cat. And my kids were devastated. My kids were so attached to this thing. They loved the cat. Now keep in mind at this point still, I didn't really like cats. Um, I would make fun of people who had cats. I just, I was one of those individuals, but my kids loved it. And so the cat got out, this is several days before Christmas. My kids are devastated. And I went to my wife, and you're going to think that what I'm saying next is over-exaggerated. It's not. If you want to judge me, that's fine. But I literally go to my wife, and I'm like, just so you know, if you don't find this cat, you will ruin Christmas for our entire family. <laughs> like, that's, that's my response. She's like, what is wrong with you? You don't even like cats. And I'm like, I don't. But our kids love the cat. You're destroying Christmas single-handedly. You better get out there and look for this cat. So... Uh, you won't hear anything else I say unless I tell you the end of the story. The cat did come back um, disheveled and with stories to tell, but it had a long night. It, it did come back the next day. But my whole point is it was just over the top. I'm like, what is, I, later, like, what is wrong with me? Um, but this whole pressure of perfect Christmas, perfect family, perfect life, and it's so easy to look around at other people and feel that pressure. And then as we've said, there's this unrealistic expectation of our version of a Hallmark Christmas that just... It doesn't exist. And I, I, for the two people maybe who don't know what I'm talking about in terms of the Hallmark backdrop, it's the lady who's a supply chain management expert that gets sent to the small town. And when she gets there, she immediately has a beef with the town baker. And it's, I mean, it's drama. It is big time. And then later there's the annual gingerbread contest and she just gets all in. I mean, starts to run it, decides she has recaptured the Christmas spirit and she's gonna quit her job and she's just gonna take down roots in the small town and run the gingerbread contest every year. And we have no idea how she's gonna make a living, but she is. And then toward the end, she finds love with the you know, Christmas tree farmer who's making minimum wage and they're gonna live happily ever after. And then the twist though is he's the son of a financier and so he's got a fat nest egg and they live happily ever after in whatever falls. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. I just made that up, but that's, I guarantee that's one of them. 
But it's just this whole idea. And, and here's what we said. This season in some ways can actually highlight what's not right. And this whole pressure, it's gotta be perfect. It's gotta be amazing. I mean, for some, it, it kind of highlights relational dysfunction that's been there all year round, but now maybe it's showing up at a dinner table or it came with you to church. Um, it's dysfunction. It's, it's maybe a first holiday where you're walking through loneliness. And then for some of us, it's, it's dealing with doubt. And what I love about the Christmas story, and I've said it before, but it is as messy as our lives and our faith a lot of times. Like one of the things I can't get away from, and maybe you've experienced this, is all throughout the story of Christmas, you find that the individuals who bring us the story, like the main characters in the whole thing are people who they've got as much messiness and dysfunction as we have if we don't shave off all the rough edges. People who in a lot of cases believed and then they disbelieved. In a lot of cases, they walked away and they had heard the stories, but they struggled to believe and they, they struggled with doubt. And in fact, one of the things I find so interesting is that the New Testament writers go out of their way to focus on all of that. Like they actually highlight all of the dysfunction, all of the mess, all of the tension and all of the doubt. And what I love is I think that it actually gives validity to the story, because if you're trying to write a story that people believe, you just don't include any of that. And yet it's front and center in the whole story. Like these are the people who bring us the story. And that's incredible good news for people who believe, but that's incredible good news to people who used to believe. And that's incredible good news to people who are not sure if they're ever gonna be able to believe again. And here's what I would tell you. I get this question a lot, I think, just because of what I do, but people come to me and they're like, do you, like, do you ever doubt? Like, do you ever have doubts? And my answer to that question is always, if you do what I do, I don't think you can do what I do and see what I see on a consistent basis and not have doubts. But the thing that leads me every time past those is number one, I feel like I believe God has done something in history historically, not just with the Christmas story, that God rose from the dead and that's the thing historically that validated everything. And so it pushes me through those momentary doubts of God, why won't you answer my prayer? And I don't understand what you're doing and how could you? But then the other thing that gives me unbelievable encouragement is it is the story. And for some of you, that's the only thing I want you to know this morning because I don't know what you've come into church with or what your background has been, but the story is a story of dysfunctional mess, randomness and Doubters, people who had heard the story like many of us, but they just struggled to believe it. Luke is the guy that gives the most famous account and he actually starts his account of the Christmas story, not with Mary and Joseph. He starts the account with Zachariah and Elizabeth. And I'm gonna call him Zach just because I like to shorten it. And Zachariah and Elizabeth are at retirement age. They're really like past retirement age. And yet Zachariah is still going strong as a priest. And what you have to know is that in the first century in that ancient culture, if you were a priest in the religious system, like the highlight of your career was if you got selected to go into what they called the Holy of Holies in the temple and you got to offer the sacrifice um, that year. And that was the whole basis of their religious system. But it was a lottery system. So you seldom got the, the chance to do it. Well, Zach gets picked via this lottery system. And so he gets to be the guy that that year goes and takes the sacrifice into the Holy of Holies in the temple. So career made for Zachariah. Like this is a big deal, but not everything is great in his life because him and his wife, Elizabeth had been praying for decades for a kid and God has not answered any of their prayers. And so as he's in there in the Holy of Holies, the angel Gabriel shows up to Zach and says to him that against all odds, hey, God has come. And God has chosen you for a specific purpose and plan. And he's gonna give you, I know he's gonna give you a son. 
And that son, you're gonna name John. We're just gonna name him for you. And that John is gonna come to, to grow up to be the famous John the Baptist. And he is gonna be the forerunner. He's gonna set the stage for the promised Messiah. And yet Zach responds like so many of us respond. And Zach had heard the stories. He knew about the prophecies. They had waited for this maybe all of their life. And yet Zach responds like a lot of us would. And he says to the angel, how in the world can I be sure of this? Like I've heard about it. I wanna believe, but I just struggle to believe. And I don't know what Gabriel said. This would be my response if I'm Gabriel. Like, well, number one, you're talking to an angel. So that's a lot of evidence right there. Like that's, that's how you should be sure. But again, Zach is just like us. Like, I, I wanna believe. I've heard the stories, but I still struggle with doubt. And then, he's, then he gives you know, God some more information, kind of like we do, thinking that maybe God's not clued into everything that's going on in our life. So immediately, immediately Zachariah's like, okay, so just so you know, you know, angel Gabriel, I'm old. I don't, know if you've, you know, I don't know if you've been clued in, I'm old. And my wife, and then I think he catches himself, is well along in years. Basically, like kind of my translation, Zach's going like, we prayed for this in our 20s. God didn't answer our prayers. Okay, we still got a lot of time. We prayed again all throughout our 30s for a decade. God still didn't answer that prayer. And then for whatever reason, we kept praying in our 40s because you know, you're God, you can make it happen. And God didn't answer that prayer. And then just because we were desperate, we so wanted a child, we so wanted God to do something. We prayed into our 50s and we have not heard from God for decades. So Gabriel, all due respect, I think God's a little late. We've prayed, God hasn't answered any of our prayers. And so verse 20, now you will be silent, Zechariah, and not able to speak until the day this happened because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed or proper time. But, and I love this, and you see this all throughout the story, Zechariah, God is gonna keep his promise to you despite your unbelief. Because everybody somewhere along the way struggles to believe. And I don't know you, and I don't know those of you who are listening on radio or those who are podcasting somewhere and you happen to listen to this message. I don't know your story, I don't know your background. But I just wanna tell you, if you're walking through something and you know, you're doubting whether God is ever gonna accomplish it in your life, can I just give you this one encouragement? I believe from the scripture, God has a will and a destiny and a plan for your life. And so often we think that will and destiny is always contingent on us. But can I just tell you that if what God says is true, if Jesus really did come in flesh, that God's will and God's destiny and God's plan for your life is going to happen. And in fact, God's going to continue to fulfill it in those seasons where you're not even really sure if you believe in that God anymore. And that was the case with Zachariah. That was the case with Elizabeth. And so in verse 26, in the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel then to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin, who was pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. And the virgin's name, as you know, was Mary. 14-year-old girl who was gonna live, die, nobody would know her name and yet 2,000, I say this all the time, but 2,000 years later, you should consider this as a skeptic, everybody knows her name. The virgin's name would be Mary, and the angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored. And this is so important, because God consistently bestowed favor on people who had no ability to earn God's favor. She's probably 14 years old. She had done nothing with her life yet. And God's going, hey, Mary, just so you know, not because of anything you've done, just because God's chosen you, you have been favored by God and the Lord 
is with you. And Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid. Because this side note, when an angel shows up, you're gonna be afraid. You, and he needs to remind her one more time, Mary, you have found favor with God. God knows your name. God has a plan. God has his favor over your life. And as we've looked at before, the reason that she needed to be reminded is because she's 14 and she has an unplanned pregnancy in a culture where that was not acceptable and nobody was going to believe her story. And in that culture, generally, that would ruin your life. And so the angel had to go, listen, this whole thing that is dressed up like dysfunction and randomness and mess is the purpose of God. And you're going to doubt it. So I just need to remind you because your circumstances are not going to tell it to you God's favor is on you. Just want you to remember that. And then in verse 30, the angel said, do not be afraid, you found favor, verse 31, and you'll conceive and you'll give birth to a son and you will call him Jesus and he will be great. Meaning, Mary, I know there's no way you can know this, that throughout the generations, your son born to you is gonna be famous every culture, every language, every generation. And I think 2,000 years later, she would, be with, she would look at it and go, with all that God's done, with all that God's fulfilled, the fact that you know his name, the fact that you can love Jesus, you can hate Jesus, but you can't ignore Jesus. Jesus' name this weekend, he's dominating the global landscape. She would look and go, how in the world could we doubt? But we do, and we all do. And we've heard the stories, and we know some of the accounts, but we struggle to believe. And Mary would get it too, though, because the next words out of her mouth, as we looked at before, were, okay, but how is this going to happen? Again, I've heard the stories, and I know we love to sing songs about Mary. We love to romanticize Mary for good reason, and, and she had places of extraordinary faith. But when you dismantle all of the humanity of it, you miss it. Because in this moment, there's doubt. Like, I want to believe you. I want to believe that you're, you're going to come through with everything you, you say. But I, I just want, how is this going to happen? I've heard the stories. I know about the prophecies. But I still struggle to believe. He will be great and he will be called the son of the most high and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And this is so important. In verse 33, he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever and his kingdom will never end. And one of the things that we don't think about a lot is that when Jesus came in a manger, Jesus came as a sovereign. Jesus came as a king. And he would make so clear in his ministry as he grew up that he came to introduce a subversive upside down kingdom that was unlike any of the kingdoms of the world. It was a kingdom where the subjects didn't give up their lives for the king, but the king would give up his life for the subject. It was a kingdom where the ultimate king would say, I came not to be served, but I came to give my life as a ransom for the world. It was a kingdom that in might made right and in violence and in warfare culture that, that he would come in with a kingdom that said other people first, you second. He would actually introduce a brand of generosity and an ethic of kindness that was unknown in ancient Roman and Greek culture and that ethic would change the world even if we don't acknowledge the source of that change. And in this moment, the angel's saying to Mary, Mary, there's no way you could understand it, but your son is gonna set up a kingdom that's gonna last forever. And in verse 35, the angel answered the Holy Spirit, Mary is gonna come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you so that the Holy One to be born to you will be called the Son of God. 
And even Elizabeth, your relative, is gonna have a child in her old age. And she who is said to be unable to conceive is in, this, in her sixth month, verse 37. This is so important. For some of you, this is for you. For no word from God will ever fail. Even when you don't believe. And then Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May your word be fulfilled. And just to one more time camp out on this, this is not perfect faith. This is Mary with still doubts. This is how is it gonna work together? Is my life gonna be over? But this is Mary with just enough faith to trust anyway. And as we've said before, perfect faith is not the faith where, well, if I just pray bigger, if I just have more faith or if I'm just more faithful, then maybe God will come through on my behalf. That's not what the scripture teaches. That mature faith is actually faith that just moves us to trust God even in the midst of our doubt when God does not seem to be moving. When God hasn't answered your prayer lately, when you don't know how it's gonna work out. And so Mary had just enough faith to keep trusting and then the angel left her. And maybe you know the story eventually, Zach and Elizabeth have their baby, that God did it, God came through. And Mary and Joseph would have their baby. And then in Luke chapter two, verse one, I love this. It says, in those days, Caesar Augustus then would issue a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. Now, just real quick, Luke, when he writes his gospel, he says, I carefully investigated all of these things and the anchor anchors it to history. You can go study for yourself. Everything I just mentioned happened historically. It's anchored to an historical event. And just real quick, if you're a skeptic, the only reason that you write a story and anchor it to historical events is if you are telling an historical story. In, in essence, Luke is going, fact check me. In those days, and this happened, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. And just real quick, because I, I love this. I don't know how God did this. But somewhere along the line, God whispers into the ear of the most powerful man in the world at that time, Caesar Augustus, and says, you're gonna issue a decree. And Caesar doesn't even know it, but he begins to orchestrate God's plan. And what you need to know that I just think is interesting is that Caesar Augustus thought that he was the son of a God because he was the son of the divine Julius Caesar. And so there he is, and just kind of a twist of fate. And Caesar Augustus, the son of a God, unknowingly 1,500 miles away in Rome, is orchestrating the birth of the son of God, the savior of the world in the very place that had been prophesied hundreds of years before. And Caesar Augustus' sole ambition was to be famous, and little did he know he'd be famous. That 2,000 years later, most people around the world, or at least many, would know the name Caesar Augustus, but what Caesar Augustus could have never realized is that every time his name would be mentioned 2,000 years later, it would simply be mentioned as a footnote to a Jewish carpenter who would transform the world. He had no idea. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. And so Mary and Joseph went. And as you maybe know, in verse six, while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. And she wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And then this is so important. And if you're, you know, you haven't encountered the story a lot, we go right on by this. This just happened. This just seems an incidental part of the story. But in verse eight, there were shepherds living out in their fields keeping watch over their flocks at night. And what you might not know about shepherds, and again, this whole thing has been romanticized, shepherds were outcasts. They were marginalized. They were on the outside of everything because with their line of profession, they had to handle dead animals. 
And so if they, they would take dead animals to the temple because under the religious system, they had to give sacrifices. So they would take these sacrifices from shepherds, they would sacrifice in the temple, and that was part of their whole system. But the shepherds were seen as ceremonially unclean. So they could never go to the temple, they could never interact with God. So if you signed up for a career in shepherding, you pretty much said, I don't, you know, I don't believe in God, I'm pretty sure God's not gonna love me. And so you're just resigned to that fact because you could never be in on the religious system. And little, again, did they know that God, this is not by accident, strategically shows up to shepherds, to outcasts, to the marginalized, to the outsider, so that the world would know, so that shepherds would know, I'm about to introduce a message for you. That an angel appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified because again, if you're a shepherd, you're like, if God shows up, it's not gonna go well for me. But the angel said to them, and I love this, don't be afraid because I bring you good news. Good news for doubters, good news for disbelievers, good news for people who walked away and came back or haven't come back, good news for people who have heard all of the stories but have struggled to believe. This is good news. And if you eliminated all of those groups, there would be no Christmas story left. And by the way, I just wanna say this, maybe if you grew up around the church or Christianity or your experience with other Christians, if that has not communicated to you or if you have not felt good news, then you have missed the message of Jesus. That it is good news of great joy, meaning even in the midst of the mess, there is a way to walk through it with hope because it's good news of great joy for how many people? For all people, for the entire world. Because today in the town of David, a savior, not a life coach, not a here's how you can improve your life with seven things. And he didn't offer good advice. That's different than good news. Good advice is here's a list of things you need to do. And if you do it, you can clean up your life. Good news is a proclamation that something has already happened and now you get the benefits of it if you'll simply receive it. It is good news of great joy for all people because the reality is whether your church experience has communicated this to you or not, all of the world is divided into two categories, not good and bad, but humanity and a savior who is perfect and we need a savior. The doubters, the skeptics, the disbelievers, the church kids, the outcasts. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you who is Christ the Lord. And he would say, Zach, he's come for you. Even though an angel showed up to you and you still had doubt. And Mary, he's come for you, even though your initial response was to question and wonder how God's gonna do this. And hey, shepherds, he's shown up to you because it's a message for all people. And today he would say, he's shown up to you. No matter what your baggage is, what, what your past is, you are invited into the story because today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You'll find the baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. And the reality is, his favor rests on any individual who simply embraces the good news of what Jesus has done. Because God has a habit 
of bestowing favor on people who have no ability to earn that favor. It's good news of great joy for all people. And I just wanna say to you this as I get ready to close, if you were to drop in to any point of the Christmas story and you didn't know the end of it, I mean, over and over again, you would come to conclusions of, I think it's over. I think God's left. I think it's not gonna happen. And yet it did happen. God did it. God fulfilled it. God was faithful to his word. And I have no idea where you are at this morning. I have no idea what you are dragging in here. I have no idea the doubt that you are grappling with in this moment, but I don't need to. I just wanna tell you in those spaces and areas of your life where you would look at it from your perspective and go, it's over. And maybe cook up stance and go, it's over. God's left. It's not gonna happen. I just wanna encourage you for a second. I believe from the authority of the scripture that God has a will and a destiny for every single individual. And God is going to accomplish his will and destiny in your life. And he will even do it through the seasons of doubt when you're not sure about him any longer because it was never based on your faithfulness. It's based on his faithfulness. And the thing that you look at that you cannot make sense of, and it may be the thing that's actually causing you to doubt God, I just want you to consider for a second that that thing, that circumstance, that dark night of the soul might be the epicenter of God's purpose and presence in your life. And so I just wanna ask this question as we get ready to end. For all of those of you online and on radio and in the house this morning, what if that's true? I just, you just owe it to yourself. What if that's true? What if God has done something unique? What if that story intersects with your life the way that I just described? Because here's what it would mean. If that's true, if God's really done something in history, it's good news. And what that good news means is this, is that God loves you. And God loves you when you believe. And God loves you when you don't believe. And God loves you when you can't believe. And God loves you when you're not sure if you're ever going to be able to believe. The reason I know that is because like any good parent, God loved you long before you could believe anything. And he invites you today, even with your doubt and even with the dysfunction and the mess to receive his good news of great joy that is for all the people. Would you pray with me online and in the house in this moment? And as we close, I just wanna give this invitation that I've given all day long and starting last night with so many people responding to it. Because I think for some of you, you've waited because you felt like the invitation to receive the good news of Jesus was an invitation that could only be initiated when all of your doubt went away. And I'm just here to tell you that that's not the case. Or that you have to have everything figured out or somehow you have to get to this place where morally you're on point. I I just, for some of us, we're never gonna get there. And that's why it's good news. And so in this moment, I wanna invite some of you who would actually say, even in the midst of still some of the doubt and the things I don't understand, I I wanna invite you to receive this message. If this is maybe the moment, the day where you would say, I believe, and you can pray this prayer after me. And I always say this, there's no like prayer that saves you or specific words. It's just a declaration of your own faith and trust. But here's how the scripture defines receiving the good news. It's just believing that Jesus came and he lived the perfect life that we couldn't. And then he died the death, honestly, that we should have died for all of humanity on the cross, for our sin, past, present, and future. And the reason he did that is because to demonstrate great love, there has to be great sacrifice. 
Love must be shown to be known. And for God to demonstrate great love, he had to make a great and necessary sacrifice. And he did on the cross. And then I believe historically, three days later, he rose from the dead. And it is as easy as this. It's simply saying, Jesus, I believe that you're God. I'm trusting you to forgive me and to save me. And I receive your good news. And the scripture says, the moment you do that, you become a son and daughter of God and nothing is ever gonna separate you from that love. So if that's you this morning, I just wanna lead you to pray this prayer with me. And it's your own declaration of trust. Jesus, I believe that you're God. Wherever you are in your own heart and mind, I believe that you lived the life that I couldn't. I believe that you died on the cross from my sin. And I believe that three days later, you rose again. And right now, I'm not trusting me. I'm trusting you to forgive me, to save me, to make me a son or a daughter of God. So nobody looking around, if that's you, because I just want something that will help you anchor this in your heart, that this will be the greatest Christmas weekend of your life. Just lift up your hand and go, this is the moment that I have, even with some of my doubt, placed my belief and my trust in the good news of Jesus. We just lift up your hand just to acknowledge you like so many already this weekend. Awesome, 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 incredible. Yeah. Yeah. And if you just leave it up for a second, we're not gonna do anything weird, but an usher would love to put a card in your hand. And if you want, you can take that card to next steps outside. You'll see the banner. We'd love to give you information about this new journey. But with so many hands, I just wanna give it another minute. If this is your moment, and don't be afraid of that. Just lift up your hand for a second to go, this is, this is it. This is, this is the anchor moment of I'm believing, I'm placing my trust in the good news of Jesus. Jesus, thank you for what you're doing in this moment to to just allow us to be a part of a story that's 2000 years old from the point of Jesus and then much older than that, all the way from the beginning, your plan to redeem and rescue humanity. And I thank you that you are doing this morning what you have been doing all along. And I thank you that we get to be a part of it. And we pray this in Jesus' incredible name, amen. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this message or have been impacted by Centerpoint Church in any way, would you consider helping us out in one of two ways? First, if you would just spread the word, share this message with your friends, family. Maybe you could go rate and review our podcast on your favorite podcast catcher, but this helps us so much more than you know. And secondly, this ministry is supported by people like you through their financial generosity. And so if you've been impacted by any of these messages, would you consider giving to support the mission and vision of Centerpoint to see people reach with the radical grace of Jesus? You can give today on our website at centerpointfl.org. And again, that's centerpointfl.org.